Welcome back from the small groups. Um, we have just under an hour together. Um, I'd like to end about five minutes before we break up, just so we have five minutes of silence before we go into tea. Um, as we did this morning, it's an opportunity for for you to offer any reflections or what may have come up for you following those very personal and um, powerful presentations. A mixture of personal experience interwoven with very profound insights. So um, we have the roving mic again. Uh, unless I run Thank you, Kathy. Um, I got a great deal out of both of the talks, but one of the things that came up for me when Rory was talking was also um, an empathy with the quality of experience of the young woman who was the object of desire and whether her experience of the retreat might be diminished by being seen um, as only an object of desire. And um, the way um, I sometimes also have an averse reaction to people, as well as uh, a, a reaction of attraction, there might be a, a reaction of aversion. And I'm often struck by how completely groundless it was when I get to know the person and talk to them. And it's something about our, um, or m I'll talk about myself, my habitual tendency to, to let projections fly right, left and centre when I'm resting in silence. It's almost like the mind amusing itself. And I was really struck um, and very touched by Rory's honesty um, because I think there are many ways in which we preempt our experience and diminish our possible sense of connectedness with others and you know it's a, a growing edge for me always has been um, and um, so I, I hadn't actually seen it with such clarity I think till Rory was sharing his experience and yes how the anxiety or restlessness um, but just the rigidity um, the narrowness of your perception, how, how how easy it is to get stuck in those. So I just wanted to thank you, really. <coughs> we'll hold it in there until someone puts their hand up. Thank you very much. Thank you. It is working. Yep, it is working. Perhaps I can offer uh, a response as well, but also to Rory's presentation um, in the way that it offers uh, a mirror up for oneself. Yeah, when one is so honest about uh, a process which is usually kept very private, it sort of shines a mirror, shines a little light into one's own processes. I wasn't going to speak till the end, but. Um, I also wanted to say thank you to you for your talk, Carol. Uh, I find all these talks deeply moving, bring tears to my eyes. <laughs> yes. Could pass it back to Sash. Thank you. <laughs>
Catherine, very little of your talk said anything to me because I'm not in a relationship and your experience will probably never be relevant to my life. But when you said that your mother, despite her dementia, still meditates, still practices, and still finds consolation and support in that, it was immensely helpful to me. It was the hope that I've been wanting to find. So thank you very much for saying that. just like to say something about um, uh, Rory's talk and something that came out in the group from from Kathy actually and um, just how um, the, the obsession how it can rob you of um, the real experience and um, that that struck me as it came out in our group so thank you for that as I've certainly been there in the past <laughs> been in any of the groups I'd be very interested to hear how these themes were taken forward in the groups if, if anybody would like to share okay. um, I was um, quite interested in in what something that Rory said about um, uh, about how we have a uh, many people have a feeling of lack or um, there's something wrong with them and that how um, in our society the you know the capitalist society we're encouraged to feel that more and more because it's a way of people selling goods to us and keeping capitalism going keeping the consumerism going um, and uh, and and living in a living in a country where there's a Christian culture I feel that some of that comes from um, this feeling of this a misinterpretation of the story of original sin um, and and it's just so common it's very common people feeling bad about themselves in some way or giving themselves a hard time um, I'm sure I've had it myself in the past but I I, I think not not growing up in a Christian background has has been an immense advantage to me, although <laughs> there are other s stuff from my background that's <laughs> it's been a challenge coming from a Jewish background. It's been a challenge as well, um, but that 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 sort of feeling of um, of that there's that there's, that there's something inherently bad about us. 
Many people have that feeling. It's very sad. I just want you to throw that in the pot. Stephen. Uh, thank you, Roy. I have something to say about not having something to say, which is um, I was curious when you used the word terrified and then understood. <coughs> and I always usually <coughs> feel a lot of respect for that kind of courage to expose what we'd all prefer not to expose, especially in this kind of situation. Um, and that brings up a resonance in me to do that, but interestingly, it hasn't brought up a resonance to speak from. And I just want to say that I, I take that as some kind of um, ignorance in myself, some kind of um, not conscious resistance that I can be aware of, but there's something there to look at, something for me to look at, at why there's nothing to say. Uh, and that's all I wanted to say, really. <laughs> Thank you. Can we, just, can we do this for the benefit of the recordings? Thank you. I really liked both of your transparencies of communication and the honesty that came through, and that was a topic that we actually spoke about within our group, um, and the courage to do that, because I think a lot of people um, have things to share about themselves and feel very frightened to do so. Um, and I know it's only perhaps certain aspects that you shared, but I just think it's quite encouraging for others to hear that. So I just want to say that. Thank you. Okay. C can we please hear Ajahn Amar was saying something about <laughs> what's going on during his retreats. <laughs> Please. And that was me thinking I was going to get off easy. <laughs> so, oh, I just do the first talk on the evening, opening evening. And <laughs> but uh, I. Um, on this particular area, there was a, a few themes that, that came up, but also just. Um, uh, from what Sati Sati was saying and picking up on, on Rory's comments about that uh, hunger that our culture feeds within us, that uh, it's very interesting that the, the, the term consumer culture it is an ordinary word, it's an ordinary uh, phrase that it just slides by without being noticed. But when you sort of pin it down and look at it, that our, our society is being defined by consuming trying to feed that endless hunger. And um, it's also, not to go into a whole thesis, but, uh, you know, which I'm prone to do, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's very interesting how 
uh, that restlessness, that that hungering, has been consciously developed in the West. That um, the whole advertising industry and uh, people like uh, Edward Bernays um, in the early part of the century sort of developed um, that uh, you know very very consciously the um, how to put things into the mind of the public. To and he's a uh, I think a nephew of Sigmund Freud. <laughs> Uh, how to put things into the mind of the public to increase that sense of hollowness and trying to feed that hunger with acquisition of goods and to to make that uh, something that was fine and wonderful and excellent and a sign of health of the society. So that we're, we're up against some powerful forces here, <laughs> and that um, the uh, but I, I felt that was very uh, uh, apposite in many ways and and the. Because the, in terms of relationship uh, and and how it relates to our, say, w living with others and, and uh, trying to, uh, on the one hand, help others or allow, letting ourselves be helped by others the, within the the aging process, um, and also picking up on what uh, uh, Carol was saying about the the A frame and the H frame. Uh, uh, one of the um, the the ways that I, I like to talk about this whole area is that there's and this is my own little, it is my own thesis. <laughs> there are two different kinds of relationship, whether you're a monastic or a layperson, whether you're uh, older or younger, whether it's a romantic relationship, a teacher-student relationship, a um, uh, a societal um, uh, relationship. But uh, the, I you, I feel you can put them into two broad categories: that of relationships of separateness and relationships of wholeness. And a relationship of separateness, whether it's, uh, a, uh, say, a person to the spiritual teacher saying uh, that um, I am separate from you, you're the teacher, I'm the student, you've got something that I need to get from you, when I get it from you, then I will be complete. And so that there's you there, there's me here. Whether it's a romantic relationship, and I, I fully confess, I went, into I went into the monastery at the age of 21, so I don't have any real worldly experience of living in stable romantic relationships with anybody. <laughs> Uh, brief, <laughs> brief experiences of being in romantic relationships with uh, a few different people. So that sense of being in a committed long-term relationship, I, I fully uh, acknowledge I don't have experience within this lifetime of that. But uh, certainly having lived within a family and, and experiencing the parent-child relationship and uh, being around many, many people and uh, counseling many people in r romantic and, and married committed relationships. I feel it works in exactly the same way that, that when there's a relationship of separateness, when a, that a bond is formed, it's like the parent uh, looks to the child as, um, uh, my job is to to um, to look after you and to uh, to complete you. Your your uh, uh, you need me in order for your life to be whole, or I need you as my child to make to make my life whole, and that we unconsciously hold each other in these ways. Or when people enter into a partnership or a marriage or a relationship, they they also unconsciously set up those dynamics that we say, oh, it's my job to make you happy, and if you're not happy, then it's my fault, or it's your job to make me happy, and if, you <laughs> if I'm not happy, it's your fault. <laughs> Is this sounding familiar? So these are all different kinds of relationships of, of separateness. So there's, there's a, a self and an, and an other, and there's a, a, a dynamic of, of wanting and of lack. Um, and sometimes that can work very beautifully, like with the... the uh, 
Carol's A-frame model. There's a, a mutual support and a, a mutual sort of leaning upon each other. And so there is, um, that even though there is a separateness, those, those two separate parts can, can work well together. So it's not intrinsically problematic. But there is a, uh, a division there, uh, often within that. Um, and uh, in, in Buddhist terminology, this is, uh, you would say, this is as long as a relationship is based around self-view or the, a, like a, an, a feeling of a separate ego identity, that then there's a me here and there's a you there. And no matter how hard we try and no matter how well we fit together, <laughs> there's still a you there and a me here. And as long as there's that division, then even when it's a really great relationship and it works really well, when one of them goes, when one of, one of us dies, then there's, a, 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 there's the heartbreak. I remember this beautiful old couple who used to live near Chidhurst Monastery, the Gilberts, and uh, they were well into their 80s when, uh, when we knew them in the early days of Chitos. Maybe Rory remembers them. We used to go on arms round to their, their home. They used to totter around the village hand in hand. Uh, and Mrs. Gilbert was very, very arthritic. And she used to say, oh, I'm fed up with living. This is really painful. You know, I can't wait till it's all over. And Mr. Gilbert would say, oh, don't say that, don't say that, you know. <laughs> That's a horrible thing to think, you know. And... Uh, uh, when she finally passed away, uh, th and also they uh, they had the the reputation and was recognised widely that in sixty years they'd never had an argument. <laughs> Pause for breath. <laughs> but they had uh, a, a deeply harmonious and loving relationship, and and seriously had never had a, an argument in their own reckoning. So when uh, Mrs. Gilbert passed away, then. Uh, and Mr. Gilbert was telling us one day, maybe you were even, we were on arms around together at the time, I don't remember. But uh, he said, uh, oh, I feel so terrible. I feel like I've lost an arm and a leg. I'm so depressed, you know. And he said, I went to the doctor. I said, doctor, please you know, give me something. You know, I feel terrible. I'm like a, my wife has died. We loved each other so much. Our relationship was so perfect. And now I feel like I've lost an arm and a leg. And uh, he said, please, can, can you give me something? And the doctor said, I'm not going to give you anything. And you know, you know what the problem is? And he said, what? He said, your marriage was too good. <laughs> <laughs> That's your problem. You're not sick, you're just grieving. And uh, he said, cheeky young puppy. You know. but, but then I realized he was right. <laughs> and so that was a, the, a very lovely and beautiful relationship. But because of that sense of, of self and other, when one half goes, then... There's uh, that deep sense of lack when when it's parted. So a relationship of wholeness, that, that uh, what I use that that kind of language for, is to is rather the H model. I'm not sure if, if Carol means this, but it's rather like um, I, uh, I, you, uh, and I help each other to recognize our own wholeness. So a teacher to a student, or a parent to a child, child to a parent, a lover to lover, uh, uh, partner to partner. So rather than uh, I need you to make me complete or you need me to make me make you complete, rather um, your presence helps me to help me to be reminded that I'm complete already, and my and my presence hopefully reminds you that you are complete already. So that uh, the we we live as as mirrors and relate as, as of, uh, ways and means to to catalyze that uh, awakening to our own wholeness. And so we're grateful to have that mirror, like being around a great teacher like Lumpur Sumedho or Lumpur Chao, you know, 
that uh, you're really glad <laughs> to have those mirrors around, but you know, th that you can also see that people like Lumpur Samedo, Lumpur Chart, they do not need to have you as a student. <laughs> they, don't, they don't need an audience. In fact, Lumpur Samedo is extremely happy to not have an audience <laughs> uh, he, and uh, is enjoying his, his retirement. But uh, I feel this is a very useful model, and it seems to, to span uh, all different strata, whether it's uh, teacher-student, parent-child, uh, uh, or partner-to-partner uh, partner in a, a marriage or a relationship. And that when w uh, that quality of self-view or self-centered thinking is dropped, then we can more relate in, that in, in a closer way. There's no, there's no barrier between us. And I, I remember years, when, uh, years and years ago when I was a student, uh, seeing Magritte's painting, The Lovers. I don't know how many of you are familiar with, with René Magritte's painting. And it's, and some people might feel this is a bit monkish or <laughs> a bit of a brutal reflection, but uh, it was my experience often as a, a teenager trying to, to get close or trying to, to be in, a, in a, 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 a relationship that was truly unified or whole. And in this painting, the, the two, uh, the, the pair of lovers are, are in an embrace, locked together with their arms around each other and they're, you know, they're, in a, they're, they're kissing each other in an embrace. But each one has a black bag over their head. So they're two separate bags. So they're kind of locked around each other, but each, uh, each of their heads is surrounded by a bag. So there's the, the film of the, of the cloth separating them. And I remember seeing that, that painting and thinking, that's it! <laughs> that's what I keep experiencing, that you can get so close and so close and so close, but you're apart. And that uh, it's a mysterious thing, but it's when we let go of self-concern, when we let go of ourselves, that we are most completely able to be at one with others. And that in terms of the aging process and um, being helped by others or, or living in relationship to, to, to uh, others who we are caring for in, in that particular dynamic, um, that it, uh, and also relating to our own aging body, I can totally empathize with Rory that uh, I'm not that 26-year-old guy <laughs> with <laughs> buff muscles. You know, everything is going south and east and west <laughs> rapidly, and uh, it's kind of be quite frightening when they look in the mirror. Think, well, how did that happen? Think, well, duh. <laughs> <laughs> but we know how it happens. The time passes. But to have that sense of dropping the self-image, letting go of our preferred self-image, letting go of self-centered thinking, then we find we can be at more at ease both with our own changing body, but also when we're around others and we're meeting with the helplessness of others, like taking care, like when I was both with my, my mother and my father when they were dying, and a feeling of helplessness. You know, somebody's you know, lying there in the bed, their, breath, their breath is getting weaker and weaker. What can I do? What can I do? And there's a feeling of wanting to help, wanting to be there, and a, a closing down, a tightening of the heart. And it's only in those moments when we let go of, of self-centered attitudes and uh, drop that, then we, we, we know what to do. And often in those kind of situations, what to do is simply be present, pay attention, not get busy and fussy. Um, but to, uh, to just relax and pay attention, attune to the, the time, the place, the situation. Just a, as a final comment, uh, uh, I heard a story that Ramdas told, and he's a sort of expert on death and dying, 
and uh, he's written books about it. You know, he's sort of world authority, new age uh, guru, dharma teacher. So his his beloved stepmother was uh, was pa was passing away, and um, she was sort of lying on on her deathbed, and her <coughs> you know, her, she's very weak and frail. And Ramdas is sitting beside her, and he he tells this story himself. He's, so he's saying, "Okay, mom, you know." You can feel the light entering your body as you breathe in, as the breath comes. No matter how soft the breath is, you feel you're breathing in the light. The light is expanding, you're moving towards the light, letting yourself be light. And going on like this for half an hour, 45 minutes. Finally, he pauses for breath and, and his stepmother turns around to him and says, Round us, be quiet. <laughs> 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 so anyway, th that's just some of the the the, the, the uh, reflections and thoughts that that came up uh, uh, as as he was speaking, and uh, the, um, the the uh, maybe as a way to finish it off, the way I heard it described, or in a, in a wedding blessing that I felt was very helpful. One time, a, a monk was giving a wedding blessing, and he said, "You know, if, if you're coming together to sort of form this partnership." And if you two spend your lives looking at each other, then you're going to get stuck in, you know, I want to be perfect for, for her, she wants to, uh, I've got to be perfect for him. It's her job to make me happy, it's my job to make her happy, it's, uh, it's his job to make me happy. And no matter how hard you try, you know, if you're just looking at each other, you'll never find true happiness. But if instead you're side by side looking at that which is beyond you, beyond the two of you, then you'll be able to find a, a quality of, of peace and fulfillment. Rookie has to say that. <laughs>Hello. Okay. Years ago, I remember when I was still in robes, reflecting uh, on relationship, but a relationship more is uh, coming together. And at the end of the uh, the uh, uh, presentations this afternoon, uh, I decided I was going to sit because uh, I'm not participating in any of the groups. So I thought I would just sit and quietly in the hall. So it was very interesting to see the energy and everybody coming together and then everybody leaving. Then Nick had a couple of things and then Nick was gone and then I was alone in here. And so that transition between the coming together, the relationship, if you will, is a separation. And the insight that I, that I had and I would share uh, periodically is that Another coming together means another separation. So we're always in, in and even in a marriage, or even if you see uh, if if uh, in, in a sexual uh, relationship, two people can come together, but they only can stay together for so long, and they have to separate. So we have even the most human, uh, intimate human connection on that level 
to say procreate or for pleasure doesn't matter, that still there's always that separateness, uh, the separation. And uh, I think it's a wonderful uh, reflection on that, that there's, no matter how good the relationship is, there's, there's that con continuous uh, separating just by the coming together. So the coming together, it's just like there's birth and there's going to be death. We meet, that then we will separate. And the other was, I remember Ajahn Chah at a wedding blessing that he gave the example of two people uh, getting married they said it's like a, uh, a, a carpenter takes two pieces of wood, a very skilled carpenter, and it doesn't matter how skilled the carpenter is, but his skill, he can join those two pieces of wood together beautifully to where it would be seamless, that, they, that, that you couldn't even see where the two pieces were joined together. But in reality, they would always be two pieces of wood, no matter how skilled the joiner was, the carpenter was, uh, that those two pieces of wood were brought together, but that ultimately they were they were really separate. And I think it's a good analogy for again that coming together. And no matter how beautiful, like the the uh, Gilbert's uh, example, that ultimately they they did separate. And uh, that was a, a is a good reflection. And I've always uh, found that that coming together and separating, and uh, it, it can be a a wonderful practice because we're doing it continuously I in our lives, our daily lives, and, and just here on the retreat when we uh, see each other and then we don't, well, I'll see you this afternoon. And we always say that, but we don't know for sure we'll see each other this afternoon. We make assumptions, but we're, again, separating. And then, you know, we're hoping we come back together, but there's that, always that uncertainty of, of not knowing. Hello. I was just uh, can you hear me? I was just thinking about separation and um, and the, the sort of gift of loss. And I think what came for me in terms of the sort of separation in my marriage, which was um, on one level uh, awful, but I think it really kind of shook up for me all these sort of essential, basic assumptions that I'd made about the world and. And my views of the world, and, it, and and in a way, the that kind of length, if you like, of togetherness masked, I think, a whole lot for me. You know, it kept me from something, and I, and so I think the the sort of that separateness or that space, it sort of threw up everything in a way I didn't want to see, but also the sort of sense of something landing that, um, I don't know, feels so different in a way. I don't know if I'm making sense here. <laughs> but, um, something about that sort of, that attachment, separation and loss being so enriching. Uh, 
some form. That's my experience anyway, today. Um, I'd like to say a little bit, um, partly because it's a field that I work in, which is um, relationships and psychosexual psychotherapy, that actually um, there is an aspect which sometimes can get lost um, if one overemphasizes the, the H-frame model, which I think one can do, depending on one's perspective, is that actually the A-frame model exposes us in very many ways to very raw experiences of vulnerability, of pain, of hurt, of suffering. The whole issue of separateness and togetherness is really highlighted often in an intimate relationship in a way that often it may be avoided and ignored in an H-frame relationship. So I'd like to validate that point of view because I think it's important. I see it in my work, I've seen it in my own life, that because the relationship um, between two people can be so intimate, and although it excludes others, it exposes us often in our most vulnerable places. Because there's no one like one's intimate partner who knows everything about one. One is absolutely transparent, one can't hide anything. You know, whether it's a pimple on one's face or breaking wind, whatever it is, embarrassing situations, it's all there. And being known in that way, actually, is very exposing. And it very quickly strips away, it can often strip away, not always, but often strips away any ideas one may have about oneself, about how wonderful one appears to the world or to oneself. So there is this raw side of a relationship, which we often get entangled in and obviously lost in because it is so intimate and it touches such deep parts of our need for attachment, need for belonging, need for being someone. But I think the beauty of Dhamma practice, if it's really embraced wholly, is that it can affect every aspect of one's life, including intimate relationships. Because the truth of what Roy was, Rory was, was saying about the, that... Um, that desire, desire is at the heart of, of, of this um, process of suffering. Uh, one knows that really, really richly in intimate personal relationships. And it can be wonderful food for thought. So the analogy that you used of, two, of, the, of the monk's illustration, when the two people who are in a relationship um, start seeing that there is something other than themselves, yes, and they don't get lost in the world of material uh, happiness. Actually, a dimension can come to the relationship where the sense of togetherness, where the A-frame and the, and the H-frame coexist together and actually complement one another. Because in working on the, on the H-frame model in an A-frame relationship, one actually finds a way out, not only out of the suffering eventually, but also one penetrates deeply into the suffering at the same time. So actually it leads to a very, very deep, rich life. And although I was sort of, this has been building up in me as the weekend progresses, I was going to sort of say this for the end. I think the richness of an event like this, which I'd like uh, to share, is the fact that we have so many lay people contributing to this Dharma dialogue situation. Um, and... Uh, there is a danger, and I say this as a sort of um, facilitator here, to sort of defer knowledge to those who speak clearly, speak, speak articulately, who are familiar with speaking to large numbers of people. What I wouldn't like to get lost is all the silent voices, all the inner journeys, inner experiences that we all have as individuals without necessarily the, 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 um, the confidence to, to, to share it in a public forum. 
So I hope that those elements come through in your smaller groups where perhaps it feels a bit safer and uh, and easier to share. So that's my little contribution. Please, Rookie. I told Rory that I spoke the most. I spoke the most in the little circles. <laughs> um, this I don't know the. I have had the good fortune to associate with some very good monks, both here and in Sri Lanka, and Venerable Ananda Maitreya. You know, um, he had studied English under my father, who established uh, English classes for the Sangha. Apparently, at that time, it was a big debate that uh, Sangha must not learn English they'll be corrupted by the the West. <laughs> but my father didn't agree with that. Anyway, that was so, whenever Venerable saw me, you know, he always uh, treated me uh, with very a lot of kindness. And what, he, what I remember was, what he said was that we are all on a spiritual journey. And uh, when people are very, when they are going on the wrong path, when they are very self-indulgent, um, this is a way of turning you around to to correct you, to correct your way. And there were several examples that I remember we were discussing. One was a relation of mine who were blissfully happy, married, very self-indulgent, you know, doing everything they wanted they had money and blissfully happy and not not caring about others and then they get a uh, not disabled it's not used but a, a special needs child who needed care and he's still living and and that turned them around so much that they established a, a home for disabled people and they're caring for others all the time now so you know several other instances like that often when I see people very self-indulgent and I think oh my gosh what's going to happen to them <laughs> I, 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 I feel I feel concerned for them <laughs> so maybe when things go wrong that might be a way of telling you that you know you reach reach the point where you got to turn back, turn in the right direction, take the correct fork. <laughs> but there's a sliding dose. <laughs> this is one of my reflections. Thank you, Ruki. Um, sorry, um, I um, um, just have a question because you explain the H frame and then the A frame on the relationship sort of like in a way to explain it. What I'm just quick parceling myself is like my parents has a sort of a H frame. They're both independent and in care, and but it works out really well. But my aunt has a sort of a A frame. She's sort of depending on that things, and these things when I think back, we can easily put them into the H-frame, A-frame, but they don't really focus in developing an H-frame or A-frame. 
So what is the sort of skillful way we think about relationships sometimes to entangle? I mean, like in the work relationships or any other things. And how do you sort of be more skillfully develop a thing, like, you know, sort of a tool or sort of a mindset to identify these and sort of like to work out what would be beneficial in long term? I'm s- Thank you. Would you like to address that, Carol? Would you feel I'm not an expert on relationships for a start, and um, I didn't. I don't know if I dreamt the H frame and the A frame, but it just came to me. Uh, is, is there a theory? Metaphor. Is no, there? A no. So um, it's it's my metaphor, um, and uh, I was really pointing eventually to the bar in between, what connects the frame, and I, th- I think Ajahn Amaro put it very well. Um, uh, about not being separate, so I would um, refer back to him <laughs> and and say that in Buddhist terms that's very useful and um, encouraging all those um, uh, qualities which uh, unite people in this journey, or this relationship, whether it be uh, a romantic one or or not, uh, and. Um, as I said, using things like respect and trust um, as qualities to uh, aspire towards and and to work with. Um, And also what Ajahn said about, you know, this kind of partnership, uh, sort of teamwork partnership and, and, and not always looking at the other one to, to fulfill the needs. Um, when I first met my husband, for instance, I, th- I think I was quite needy. <laughs> um, and partly I, I, I expected him to fulfill some kind of sort of father role. And um, I don't think he looked at me and looked at his part, you know, his part as being that at all. It took about 10 years before the penny dropped that he was never going to be that person. Um, he's he's a psychiatric nurse and uh, he works in the NHS and um, has a terrifically uh, uh, draining job. So he listens and talks with people all day long at a pace that um, is really quite demanding and and uh, uh, demands a lot of him, uh, as as anybody who works for the NHS here knows. Um, and when he comes home, he doesn't really want uh, a needy wife. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it, it took a... I mean, I'm just trying to think how old the kids were so I can measure it. About eight years. And, uh, yeah. w- you know, there was a big argument one time and there's a, a massive sort of blowout and it, the penny dropped. He just said, I'm not your dad. Just deal with it, you know. <laughs> Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I got it. <laughs> you know, so um, and and it was a tremendously good lesson, you know, and and and, and um, you know, I, I wasn't resentful of it. Uh, I was very, very grateful, um, and and that it came from him, and so it strengthened our relationship. And you know, sometimes, um, I have been very needy. Um, circumstances have demanded that, and he's always stepped up. To, to be that person always and um, 
and I try and step up and be that person for him. But when it's just that kind of niggly neediness, um, you know, I uh, have to look a little bit, I'm looking in here now. Does that help? <laughs> Thank you, Cameron. So at the risk of uh, holding the, the floor even more, um, a couple of things came, have come to mind. Um, in, in this relationship, uh, in relationship, no pun intended, with, to this subject, that uh, in monastic training, you, you take on a, uh, uh, there's actually a, a, a ritualized form of taking dependence upon a teacher. It's like when you when you enter into monastic training, then you apprentice yourself to a particular teacher. So I took dependence on Ajahn Pabakaro 34 years ago when I was a, uh, a novice, so that I was the, 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 the new guy just come in the gate and he was the abbot. So I took dependence on him as a teacher. And so, but then you're expected to live in dependence on, on the teacher, on your preceptor for the period of, at least five years, and then you're expected to start using your own wings, <laughs> so that there is that that uh, dependency is there, or that that sense of of um, uh, like a formal connecting with self and other. But the the it's a part of a process, an ongoing process, and so I think it's it's very interesting hearing both Nick and yourself talking about the uh, your newly hatched A-frame H-frame models. Yeah. It'll it'll be uh, it'll it'll be uh, on iBooks you know next year. So. <laughs> I'm not sure we have to talk about that. <laughs> but then relationships change, so that now I'm the Ajahn and, and uh, he's the one with the hair and the trousers. You know. <laughs> so uh, relationships change, and I think in, in in terms of the the theme of this weekend and mindful aging, that I think for many of us that, that switching of roles, where the parent becomes the child and the child becomes the adult, you know, that that's many of us have been in that that mode where. The, the our elders and beloved mentors and, and the guides of our lives become the helpless ones. So they become those who they do need to be helped up the stairs. They do need to be helped to the to the loo, and they can't drive. They can't count their change. They can't do those things. So there's a that switching of of roles and, and being able to say let go of our particular perceptions and, and adapt in that way is very very important. So that uh, was a, a particular uh, so understanding how we can be dependent at certain times and, and make use of that and also allow others to depend on us and to be flexible and open to that. I also wanted to pick up a, a, a comment that Sash made about uh, how grateful she was to hear about your mother, even with her dementia, still uh, practicing meditation every day. The, this very wonderful elderly uh, Christian monk, Father Bede Griffiths, who ran a, a Christian uh, Hindu ashram in India called Shantivanam. Um, he used to come, he was invited to teach in the States quite regularly and uh, uh, one time they were, he was being interviewed uh, in uh, Berkeley and uh, so the, the interviewer asked him, so, so Father Bede, you know, now that you're, uh, you're, you're very elderly, you know, what, what kind of experience do you have? You know, what's, what's the um, you know, so dominant perception of, y of your life as a monk now and, and uh, you know, how does it feel after all these years as a, a Christian monastic and an erudite um, scholar and writer of many books is well, you know, old boy, because very English. <laughs> well, you know, old boy, it's uh, it, I, I used to be so frightfully clever, and I had so many important things to say, 
and now it's all gone. <laughs> Can't remember a thing. You know, I write these books of Christian theology and about the Upanishads, and I was an expert on all sorts of things, and now it's all gone. And it, he had this this kind of delight. Like <laughs> can't remember a thing. He says, as long as I can remember which door I left my sandals, <laughs> then I'm fine. <laughs> and there was this uh, beautiful way that he, um, he, he was witnessing the diminishing of his faculties. He was still obviously an, an ardent practitioner and sincerely giving himself to his, his uh, spiritual training and his practice. But the, f the fact that his uh, capacity to to think clearly and remember where he put things was it was it was going, but he was because uh, anyway parking back to what I was saying this morning that because he trained himself over time, and was prepared then as it went he was not feeling it as a loss he was he was more like oh <laughs> cheerio <laughs> there goes another one you know as another bit drops off you know that that was I'm not trying to be too flippant about it but uh, there was that. Oh, you know, there goes another one, and this this is nothing has gone wrong here, and that um, I think in terms of, of uh, um, say relating to our own aging and, and the aging uh, of others, the more that we can find that that place of ease within ourselves uh, and the uh, the kind of acceptance of that those changes in ourselves, then we're more able we're able to deal with that in others because for many of us as our parents or our loved ones lose their faculties and things really break down there can be that sense of wanting to help and feeling helpless not being able to do enough really trying to to do what we can and um that uh that that desperation or that eagerness can can easily get in the way and so that the, the more that we're able to to say drop that sense of of self-concern and just give ourselves to um, that uh, you know, attention to the moment, then then we know what to do, and that uh, we don't have to say feel like oh I, if only I could do the right thing, then they would stop suffering. That uh, to get out of our head and getting uh, getting caught up in trying to find the right thing and being able to um, you know, relax into the present and to to open our, ourselves to the actuality of. No, it's out of your control. You can't do anything. They can't do anything. Yeah, relax, be open, and then that's what we can we can really give. Thank you very much. Right, um, I'm afraid that brings this session to an end. Um,